this is going to be a fun episode for me because I get asked a lot of things and I think people want to know the answer to them. And since I get asked it a lot, I'm pretty sure everyone's wondering the same thing. And so this episode is essentially going to be about frequently asked questions. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. Question. What size do the follicles need to get to to trigger in IUIs and IVF? I wish it was this simple, but it isn't. When you're talking about IUIs and IVF, we're talking about two different scenarios. So let's start with the easy one, which is IUIs. In IUIs, we are not really preventing you from ovulating. So The size of the follicle needs to get into what we call the mature zone, which is usually between about 15 and 20 millimeters. But the other thing we need to be worried about is that you may ovulate prior to the follicles getting to 20 or 21. And the more follicles you have, the better chance you may ovulate early. We call that premature ovulation. And that happens in IUIs because you're not preventing ovulation. Now, some people do, but for most places when you're doing the IUI, They don't. Now, when you're using a medicine like Clomid or a medicine like Femara, the medication is not very strong. And usually you're only making a couple eggs at the most. So in those situations, you can usually let the follicle get up to about 20 millimeters and then trigger because the estrogen level that comes from the follicles never gets that high. Usually when you ovulate, you're around a 200 picograms per milliliter estrogen level. So in an IUI cycle, you probably won't go over that when you have two follicles around 20 millimeters. And so at that point, you can trigger to induce ovulation. Now, if you're taking injections with those medications, such as Femara, adding gonadotropins will help mature the eggs faster. So usually then I'm triggering sometimes around 18 millimeters because I'm worried about the eggs becoming mature, producing a high estrogen level, and that will cause you to ovulate too soon, creating a premature ovulation situation. So when I'm using stronger medications, or if I have more follicles growing, I will usually trigger around 18 millimeters. However, another option that many doctors can do is they can use estrogen levels. And so if I'm ever in that point where I feel like someone could use another day, but I'm worried they're going to have premature ovulation, I check an estrogen level. And if the estrogen level is above 200, I know they're going to start ovulating. If it's below 200, I know I can wait a day. And there are things we can do. We can give them a medication to block ovulation at that moment, give them that extra day, or we can just ovulate them. But the point is, when you are dealing with IUIs, Because you're not preventing ovulation, you have to be aware of how high the estrogen levels are, either by drawing them and looking at them, or by anticipating it by the number of follicles and the stimulation you're using. Now, in IVF, it's a little bit different. Now, we are blocking ovulation. And so, we don't have to worry about you ovulating 
so we can allow the follicles to get more into the range that we want. Now, the goal in IUIs was just to make a few follicles that were mature, but in IVF, we're trying to make as many eggs as we can, but the eggs that fall in the mature zone, which is between 15 and 20 millimeters. If you were above 20 millimeters, there is a risk of what's called post-maturity. The eggs may look good, but they will do poorly when growing in culture. If they are below 15 millimeters, they could be mature, but they are less likely to be mature than if they are between 15 and 20. Now, the ways we get them to fall into that zone is we do things like priming with birth control to get all the eggs to synchronize together. And when we're growing the eggs, we're making decisions of when the trigger based off of getting the most amount of eggs in that range. That means that sometimes I will allow one egg to go to 22 if I know I'm going to gain five eggs from going from 14 millimeters to now 16 millimeters. That's an easy mathematical equation. Five minus one equals four. That's a net gain of four. That's an easy decision. But if you only have three eggs and all three are at 18 millimeters, I'm not going to wait to go to 20 millimeters because I don't need to. All the mature eggs are there. We don't need to wait for anything. Now, it's not just about size, but that's part of the equation. So we're looking to get the most between that range, but we're also looking at what's behind it, what's in front of it. This is where estrogen levels play a huge role. The estrogen level should be about 100 to 200 picograms per milliliter for each mature egg. So if I have three eggs at 18 and I'm ready to trigger, but the estrogen level comes back at 150, I'm not triggering because I know that 150, those three eggs are not mature and I need to wait an extra day to let them get more mature. I may let them go to 20 millimeters. Now on 20 millimeters, if they come back and the estrogen level now is 300 or higher, I feel comfortable giving that trigger. So the way we're able to decide when the trigger is we look at things like the size of the follicles, we look at the estrogen levels, and we look at what's coming up behind it. Because again, if there's more eggs coming up behind it, we're willing to give up one egg if it means we can gain some more. But there are other things that also play into this. One of them is, how are we going to fertilize these embryos? If I'm going to fertilize with standard insemination, which means I'm just going to put the sperm on top of the eggs... In that situation, it doesn't matter if some of the eggs are immature because I know that at night they're going to be seeing that sperm, having a little party. If they mature overnight, they, uh, they get together. But if someone has to do ICSI, and we know that 100%, such as if they're doing PGTM, which is also called PGD, you have to do ICSI. If there's severe sperm problems, we have to do ICSI. And if I know that ahead of time, then I know it's even more important to make sure that those eggs are mature because if they're not all mature, they can't even be fertilized by ICSI because we only have a window to do ICSI. We don't have all night for those sperm and egg to sit together like they do when we do standard insemination. So again, in, in general, yes, we use size. Yes, we use estrogen, but we look at a lot more things. So, The easy answer is between 15 and 20 millimeters. That is the size we use when we're trying to determine when the trigger. But you now know that there's a lot more going on behind the scene into the decision of when to trigger you. 
Question. Doctor, I'm almost sure I'm ovulating. I'm getting all the symptoms. It's true. When you go through IVF, when you're going through aggressive IUIs, you will notice all the symptoms of ovulation, even though you're not ovulating. Now, why is that? Because the symptoms you're feeling are not due to ovulation. It's just that you have learned from prior history that when you ovulate, you have seen those symptoms. So for example, when you're ovulating, your estrogen levels are going to be approximately 200 picograms per milliliter. But when you're going under IVF or aggressive IUIs, your estrogen levels are going to get to that same number earlier. Now, the reason you're not going to ovulate is they're watching you and they're giving you an anti-ovulation drug, so you won't ovulate, but the estrogen creates some of the symptoms, such as the vaginal discharge. Lots of women will start to notice this. Why discharge? They think, I'm ovulating. I'm definitely ovulating. And I say, no, you're not. You're just seeing the symptoms of estrogen elevation. And that's what's making you think you're ovulating because you're getting all of the same feelings because you have always conditioned yourself to think when estrogen levels are high, I'm ovulating, which is true in a natural situation, but not true when you're doing IVF. This would be like saying, if someone has an umbrella outside, it must be raining. Well, no, that's true that most people do have umbrellas outside when it rains, but sometimes some people use umbrellas to keep the sun out of their eyes and they just want to be in the shade. So we've conditioned ourselves to always assume an umbrella means it's raining outside, but there are some people who use umbrellas for shade and it doesn't mean it's raining. In the same situation, the symptoms you're feeling feel like ovulation because for most of your life, that is true. When you got those symptoms, you were ovulating because that's when your estrogen level was the highest. But now you are taking medications that cause your estrogen levels to go up early to the same levels or higher than ovulation, and that's why you're getting those symptoms. The good thing is, you're not ovulating. Question. The doctor was not able to get the catheter to go easily into my uterus during the IUI. Is that the reason we're not getting pregnant that the sperm can't get in there? I always remind my patients that God never intended a catheter to be put in your uterus. Sperm is approximately the same size as blood. So if you can have a period, then that means sperm can get through your cervix into the uterus. Well, the catheter is much bigger than blood and sperm. And for that reason, it can sometimes have a difficulty getting into the uterus. Now, sometimes it's not even about the width of the canal. It could be issues with the curvature of your cervix. It can have issues with the glands inside your cervix. There are many reasons why the IUI catheter may have a difficult time going to the uterus. It could even be user error. But in the end, never worry about having troubles getting pregnant because of the catheter not being able to get in easily because that is not an issue with you. That is an issue with us trying to put a catheter in an area that was never intended to have a catheter put in it. If you can have a period, sperm can make its way into your uterus. Question. Whenever we have intercourse, I notice 
all the sperm comes back out. I think that's why we're not getting pregnant. Every woman has experienced this. You have it in the course and then you get up and it seems like everything comes back out and nothing got in the uterus. But this is actually how it's supposed to work. Matter of fact, almost none of it will get into the uterus. Just the sperm touching the cervix will get into the uterus. Of the millions of sperm that men make, only about 100,000 of the sperm make it into the uterus. And of those, 50 sperm make it to the egg. So the point is, yes, this is normal. Sperm, after it's ejaculated, liquefies into almost a liquid. That then bathes the cervix, and then that sperm that's touching the cervix gets into the uterus. Everything else is going to come out. That is completely normal. Even in the IUI, when you inject the sperm in the uterus, some will come out when you stand up. But that is okay because the sperm have already worked its way to where it needs to go. Now, this is one reason why women will lay on their back for 15 to 20 minutes after intercourse. What you're allowing is you're allowing that sperm to liquefy and to bathe in the cervix. And the best position to be laying down is going to be on your back. You can put pillows under your buttocks to tilt your pelvis, but the cervix goes downwards when you're on your back and the vagina comes at almost a 90 degree angle. So the sperm actually just sits down there bathing in the cervix. And that's why when you do an IUI, we also have you stay on your back. So although worrisome, it is perfectly normal for that to come back out. Question. When I go through IVF or IUI and I make multiple follicles, am I losing my eggs faster for the rest of my life? Every month when you ovulate, you're ovulating an egg from a group of eggs that were selected the month before. Precisely three months prior, those eggs were actually picked to then grow that month and then a single egg will be released that month. Now, in IUIs and IVF, you are causing more eggs to grow. However, those eggs aren't eggs that are growing new. They are still from that same batch that was picked that month. Therefore, no matter how many eggs you make in an IUI or IVF, you're still losing the same amount of eggs you would have lost that month anyways. Every month, you lose approximately 1,000 eggs to get to that single egg to be released. So you're not taking from eggs deep, deep down, you're taking the eggs every month from the group that's been selected for that month. Therefore, IVF, IUIs, making multiple eggs will not make you go into menopause faster and will not make you lose your eggs faster. Question, how often should we have intercourse? You've probably heard from people before that say too much intercourse can reduce your pregnancy rate or that you should maybe wait a while to let it build up. Well, both of these are kind of wrong. See, when men ejaculate, the sperm that they are producing at that moment was actually made three months ago. And it took time for that sperm to kind of work down the tubes and then to be ejaculated. So a man can ejaculate And then if they have the capability of ejaculating an hour later, they will still make a decent amount of sperm because they're not making the sperm 
They're just ejecting the sperm that was made three months ago that has worked its way down the tubes. Now, when it comes to intercourse, how often is kind of dependent on where the sperm levels are. If your sperm levels are normal, then you can have intercourse every day and you will not affect your fertility chances. However, if your sperm levels are low, then having intercourse every other day would actually improve your chances because now the lower numbers you have can at least build up for two days versus ejaculating too often. So does this mean if you have a low count that waiting more days might be better? Well, the answer is no. And the reason why is because when sperm sits for a while, it actually becomes poor quality. Although the numbers will go up, the volume will go up, but the actual quality will go down. The motility will drop and the quality of the sperm will drop because it's exposed to more heat for longer periods of time. So every other day seems to be the best spot and why it's recommended by most doctors. But if you know your semen analysis is good and you have time to have intercourse every day, you are more than welcome to, and it will not affect your fertility. Question. Do I need the orgasm when we have intercourse in order to help us get pregnant? Because doesn't that help push the sperm through the fallopian tubes? Although I like the creativity of this statement, which sounds like it was taken out of some teenage kid's handbook. In reality, I think this came from the idea about uterine contractions after an IUI and how it helps push the sperm through the uterus into the fallopian tube. Scientists always want to figure out why. What is the purpose of everything? Matter of fact, intercourse is there to procreate. Some scientists have even talked about intercourse should only last one second because what's the point of it lasting longer? The goal is just to have a baby. Well, the same thing is people looked at, why do women orgasm? And the thought is, is that part of the reason why they have a uterine orgasm, which is where the uterus is contracting, is that it may be pushing the sperm through the uterus, through the fallopian tube, closer to the egg. As physicians, when we do a intrauterine insemination, we try to place the catheter to the top of the uterus, one, to get the sperm closer to the top of the uterus near the fallopian tubes, but two, causing those contractions does not hurt and actually helps you get pregnant in an IUI. Now, does that mean that you have to have a orgasm naturally to be able to get pregnant? Well, we don't have any studies saying that yet, but realistically, the answer should be no. Yes, it may help with IUIs, and yes, it may help with intercourse, but you do not have to have an orgasm just to have a baby. Question. Do tidy whities cause my husband's sperm to be poor? The answer to this is very similar to the answer about how often have intercourse. It kind of all depends on where the sperm levels are. No couples are not getting pregnant because men are wearing tidy whities, riding bikes, or taking hot baths. However, it depends where your sperm count starts. If you start with Superman level sperm, 
and then you wear tidy whities or go in jacuzzis often, then your sperm count may drop down the Batman. Now, hey, that's okay because Batman's still a superhero. Clearly not as good as Superman, but a superhero. But what if you start at Robin and now you wear tidy whities and now you go into a hot tub? Now your sperm count drops down to the mere mortals. And at that point, it can affect fertility. So the point is, if your sperm count is okay and very good, you'll be fine. However, if your sperm count is borderline already, then tidy whities will be your kryptonite. Question. If I have a poor morphology embryo, does that mean my baby may be abnormal? This is an easy answer. Absolutely not. The morphology, which is the phenotype of the embryo that we are grading as embryologists, is just there to help us pick the best embryo to transfer. Now, when I say best embryo, we're trying to pick the embryo that has the most likelihood of having normal genetics. Those embryos are going to give you the best chance of becoming pregnant. And it tends to be the higher the quality of the embryo, the higher the chance the embryo will be normal, which we call euploid, and will have a better implantation rate and less chance of miscarriages. So an embryo that has a lower morphology, meaning the shape of it's not perfectly normal, it gets a low grade like a C or a fair or a poor, it doesn't mean the embryo will be abnormal. It just means it has a lower chance of implanting. And your baby could be Einstein, even when it gets a C. Grade. Question. Will my husband's abnormal shaped sperm result in abnormal babies? The answer, as you probably suspect, is similar to the morphology question of embryos. No, abnormal sperm is not going to cause your baby to become abnormal. And the reason why is because the sperm shape has nothing to do with the DNA inside it. The sperm shape is made by the dad's DNA. But the DNA inside the sperm is made at the level of the testicles, where you have meiosis one and two going on. So dad's DNA may be making a poor sperm morphology, but the DNA inside it can be perfectly normal. I always explain to people that a woman's reproductive tract is like the American Ninja Warrior course for sperm. Only the best of the best sperm are going to make it to the end. And so abnormal sperm shape will usually lead to those sperms not making to the end. And so only the good ones will. But more important, I like to think of sperm as pizza delivery guys. The pizza delivery guy brings you your pizza. Sperm is like the pizza delivery guy. They don't care what the pizza delivery guy looks like. He can have a limp. He can be kind of disheveled. What you care about is, what's that pizza taste like? And what that pizza tastes like is the DNA inside the sperm. And so even an abnormal looking pizza delivery guy who comes into your front door can still bring you a great pizza. So you don't have to worry about judging a book by its cover because this story still ends well 
even when the pizza delivery guy looks like Carrot Top. Well, I hope you guys had as much fun as I did in this episode. I'm sure there are many more questions that patients have, and I'll still put another list together and do another one of these in the future. If you have questions or would like to add to the next Frequently Asked Question podcast, please send to me at tbft at newdirectionfertility.com. That's TBFT like in Taco Bout Fertility Tuesdays and newdirectionfertility.com. And as always, please review us. Please give us you know, five stars. If you like us, that will get more people to listen to us and we'll be able to spread more information and educate other listeners. Until next week, I greatly appreciate everyone and I wish you all a happy Taco Tuesday. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to Taco Bell Fertility Tuesdays. Mm-hmm.